1: Silvergate is winding down. We discussed the impact of the crypto-friendly bank announcing voluntary liquidation. Plus, JP Morgan reportedly cuts ties with Gemini. And the GBTC discount narrows as judges question the SEC's stance on a Bitcoin ETF. Welcome to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Leah Wald and Josh Olsetiewicz from Valkyrie Investments. Leah, Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us, Ash. Thanks for having us, Ash. Obviously, lots of news flow to discuss, but first, let's take a look at the latest price action. Total crypto market cap has fallen below $1 trillion on coin market cap, although that's not the case on CoinGecko. Bitcoin is down some 2% over the past 24 hours, taking its losses for the trailing seven days to more than 7%. The current price of BTC is just under $21,700. $21,700. That's the lowest level in nearly a month. A Coindesk analysis of Bitcoin put and call options shows the biggest skew towards bearish put options in two months. This means traders are expecting the price of Bitcoin to fall in the short term. Meanwhile, Ether is doing slightly better than Bitcoin, both today and over the past week. Ether is down, but not quite as much as BTC. Ether is trading at around 1000 at the moment. Okay, viewers, please join us in the conversation. Put down your questions in the chat. Uh, Wherever you're watching, we'll ask the best ones on air later in the show. Remember, Real Vision members take priority, but the good news is membership is free. With that said... Let's bring in our guest. Leo Wald is CEO of Valkyrie Investments. Josh Olszewicz is the company's head of research. Let's get straight into the news, guys. Obviously, it's been a busy one here the last 24 hours or so since uh, the news broke at the end of the trading day yesterday around 4.30. U.S. crypto-friendly bank Silvergate has announced, quote, voluntary liquidation of the bank is the best path forward, close quote. In other words, the bank will shut down entirely Silvergate counted FTX among its clients. It suffered an exodus of capital in the last few months, as well as increased scrutiny from regulators. Not surprisingly, shares of Silvergate have plummeted on the liquidation announcement. Leah, Josh, your reaction to this news, and what do you think this means for the wider crypto industry?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think a lot of us have been watching this on the fallout of FTX and that it was public news of the diversification risk. That they had with FTX. Now, I will say, as for the news, I was pleasantly surprised at what I think is quite classy of the orderly uh, shutdown that they plan on doing, and that they've kept everyone in the in the loop. Um, they've been transparent. They've put out press releases. So, uh, I do think that that's impressive compared to a lot of uh, most of the other you know bad actors in the industry in 2022. Um, I think that, again, this is just sowing uh, really structural issues that's systemic in the industry. And specifically, and I think that, you know, at least the next story of banking relationships with crypto for all of us in the industry. We know that we really had two options for a very long time. There was signature silver game uh, last year, uh, 2021, 2022. I'd say more banks and financial institutions started joining, but in a smaller way and especially not in that native way of dealing specifically with crypto uh, companies, not just um, the corporate Opco uh, uh, bank account entities. Um, So it's an interesting, um, very impactful news for the industry. I'm now watching Signature Bank, and we'll see how they are also affected by the inflows and outflows and regulatory scrutiny that I'm sure is definitely going to be following soon.
1: So many questions here. First, uh, does Valkyrie have any exposure right now to Silvergate uh, or to Signature?
2: We have never banked with Silvergate. Um, we do have si- uh, banking with Signature, but we have reduced exposure uh, actually prior to this, back last year, um, as soon as uh, FTX's news came out. We also keep minimal deposits. It's really um, more of an operational thing.
1: How would you characterize the nature of that exposure? You said operational. What does that mean in terms of, of magnitude?
2: Minimal magnitude when it comes to Valkyrie. Uh, we do not, We were not exposed to anyone last year. We weren't exposed to Celsius. We weren't exposed to Terra Luna, Voyager, uh, Three Arrows Capital, FTX, no one. Um, so we're kind of, well, we're very much Bitcoiners in nature in that we don't trust anyone. We don't trust any third parties. Uh, Our signature banks are uh, needed for uh, certain account openings for some of our funds, but we keep uh, funds in there only minimally um, as as little as possible. And again, we do trust Signature Bank, but we're watching that very closely. And also we are speaking to other banks uh, and trying to keep a pulse on who's going to be opening up for other customers soon.
1: By the way, in terms of operations, how are the custody of the underlying digital assets matched against the investment products that are publicly traded? Uh, what does that relationship look like, broadly speaking?
2: Sure. So Valkyrie has a series of funds. We have cryptocurrency trusts. We have SMA strategies that just launched. We have ETFs, and we have an opportunistic hedge fund. At the most, at the moment, the opportunistic hedge fund is equities-based, and I'm sure Josh will go into it since it's an activist hedge fund that's playing the discounts on the trusts. The trusts are crypto native, but in regards to custody, we use uh, Coinbase and other custodians that we trust and have vetted um, in uh, a myriad of ways, especially from an OPSEC perspective. Um, in regards to the ETFs, as we know, you know that, is, that is a different game that does not use crypto vendors at all.
1: Uh, do you have any concerns or questions about Coinbase's ability uh, to be a qualified custodian under some of the guidance we've seen from SEC?
2: I think that a lot is going to come out soon uh, on what the SEC is looking at. I think that we all know that uh, what's been defined as a qualified custodian, a QC, has always been exceedingly loose. Um, it's definitely not up to snuff of what we're used to in traditional finance. Uh, but at the same time, you saw Bank of New York Mellon come in last year, NASDAQ, etc. All primetime folks that understand what's actually needed. Um, they've made their entrance by saying that they'll be providing custody and their custodial projects and initiatives. So uh, as of right now, I would say it is still murky on what a qualified custodian actually encompasses. And there's very few QCs in the United States, Bitco, Coinbase, et cetera. Um, So if we're following just that distinction, then I think us as customers, it's, it's an inappropriate situation that we're in uh, by not having more, you know, Rules, guidance, regulatory clarity on what's actually needed there from an operational security perspective, again, all of us know it really does come down to user error, right? Uh, when it comes to a, you know exchanges being hacked or uh, a lot of other you know examples last year, those were users making decisions. Now, um, that's aside from the morality of what happened last year, which makes me exceedingly angry. but It is up to Valkyrie to determine how- Talk
1: about that when when you say exceedingly angry and the morality of what happened last year. Uh, Give us your sense.
2: I'm going to sound obnoxious, but it was disgusting last year. I I mean, all the retail public, I mean, no one should have been harmed with those types of fraud. I mean, those were fraudsters. There's criminal activity. It was inappropriate the way that they had zero risk management.
3: Who who are we talking about specifically here?
2: Yeah, I think all the lending, uh, the lending companies, um, obviously some of the other hedge funds uh, that had zero risk management. I think that what's painful is, again, all the, you know, the new coiners that came to the industry that got excited about joining the industry and got completely wrecked. And that was because of a CFI company that didn't provide the right disclosures and I think duped a lot of customers. And I think all of us probably know a lot of customers that, again, were, you know, new to the industry. And from a nominal perspective, it may not seem like a lot of money, but to each of those individual uh, individuals, I know that it was. Um, so I think it's unfair and sad um, that they got so harmed last year. Now, again, I know that's in juxtaposition of what I just said about user error. It's not in juxtaposition. I think that those users were not, aware of the risks that we're being taken. I think Valkyrie, it's on us to have a higher level of understanding and look at every single comma in a document of what a custodian' is doing. Well that's because that is our trade. Now, users joining new investors, new clients, that's not fair for them to you know for us to believe that they know how to look through an opsec document or lack thereof of disclosures to understand if a certain lending platform or other uh, custodial platform is performing um, from the disclosures that they're, you know, limited saying. So I think that there's a lot of regulatory clarity that actually is needed.
1: Yeah. I'm going to get to Josh in just a second. I want to talk about the activist hedge fund. I want to talk about more what's happening uh, in the exchange traded product space. Uh, but at first, before we do that, I want to just read this quote. I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but I wanted to read this quote uh, and get a comment from you, Aliyah, on what's happening right now over at Silvergate. This is from the press release that came out on Business Wire at 4.30 p.m. after market close Eastern Standard Time yesterday, quote, in light of recent industry and regulatory developments, Silvergate believes that an orderly wind down of bank operations and a voluntary liquidation of the bank is the best path forward. We talked about this at the beginning of the show. But it's the next sentence that I want to get your comment on. The bank's wind down and liquidation plan includes full repayment of all deposits. Uh, obviously, this uh, is uh, is something that uh, I imagine. Uh, that their depositors will be very relieved to hear. Uh, Is there concern that you have or within the industry itself more generally uh, that there may be daylight between the plan and what actually happens? In other words, is there risk when you see this type of uh, bank liquidation?
2: That's right. There's always risk. Um, You know, Ash, I feel like you would be able to provide more historical examples than me on this one uh, just because I, I think that you're one of the most learned Uh, individuals in the space. But throughout history, sure, I think that we can't just take anything at face value. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I'm hoping that Silvergate is able to be orderly uh, in this manner. But I think that, again, time will tell. All
1: right, Josh, I want to read this next story to you and bring you into the conversation here a little bit more broadly. Uh, We obviously want to talk here about Bitcoin spot ETFs. Uh, this is uh, according to data from y charts i think we can post this up on the screen uh, the discount on net asset value of gbtc shares has narrowed to 34 uh, percent that of course is grayscale bitcoin trust the that's the lowest since october which was pre-ftx collapse again this discount represents the uh the trade for net asset value versus the current price uh that narrowing means the price is coming more into alignment gbc is of course the largest Bitcoin trust which is operated by Grayscale GBTC charts are down sharply today but up 16% over the past week that's after favorable developments for a Grayscale for Grayscale at a court hearing this week Grayscale is appealing against the US Securities and Exchange Commission and its decision to deny converting GBTC into an ETF that's of course an exchange traded fund uh, currently a closed end fund the judges at the hearing question why the SEC is against it when it approved Bitcoin ETFs, futures ETFs in the past? This is an interesting question, the distinction between the futures uh, ETFs uh, and uh, and the spot ETFs. The SEC is arguing futures ETFs are more resistant to manipulation than spot ETFs. Uh, Guys, jump in. What are your thoughts here?
3: Yeah, thanks for having us, Ash. Uh, This was the first time really for GBTC products that there was a a spate of good news, right? Uh, All of a sudden we thought, Maybe going into the, into this trial that uh, the SEC would be on the winning side, uh, but it appears as though the judges sided uh, pretty handedly, at least in the oral arguments, with uh, Grayscale's position that, like many of us have been saying for years, there's no difference between uh, you know a futures product using spot and a
1: spot ETF using spot. <laughs> we should we should probably point out uh, that uh, that Valkyrie has proposed a spot Bitcoin ETF that has been rejected by SEC.
3: Sure, yeah. Many companies have, including us, and uh, using the same arguments, right? Uh, and because we don't have these spot ETF products, we're stuck using things like GBTC, which uh, for many people, you know, the, the fees are extremely high, and it's a Roche Motel. Bitcoin goes in, Bitcoin doesn't come out. Um, and they have no plans of reducing those fees, as the CEO said yesterday in Bloomberg, uh, until an ETF conversion. And they really have no need, right? They have no need to do anything, uh, which is why uh, the discount, you know, in my opinion, has continued to grow. Uh, and why we're going after this uh, from an activist perspective because
1: we proposed uh, lowering fees and allowing redemptions.
3: Um, I mean it's but, plain, by the way, just for some simple. additional
1: from some additional context here, I should point out, Valkyrie proposed back in December uh, to take over running GBTC from grayscale. Uh, give us a little bit of context on where that is right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of legal stuff involved there as far as uh, getting things going, Um, but seeing companies like uh, Alameda and John J. Ray also going to Grayscale with a lawsuit and saying, look, guys, the fees here are uh, way above industry standard. And what you're doing is uh, predatory, essentially, Uh, and we'll continue to see lawsuits like that. So we'll see if that actually uh, allows for any any relief on, on that side of things as far as the discount is concerned. Um, But ultimately, uh, many shareholders of GBTC feel like they're being taken hostage. Uh, They're not allowed to leave and they continue to be charged fees and the discount uh, had continued to grow. Uh, So our proposal was uh, an attempt to allow relief for that.
1: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. And when you say not allowed to leave, of course they can, they can, they can sell the shares, uh, but they can't convert them into Bitcoin under the current structure. I know this gets technical uh, into the weeds about some of the operational details of this, but as a closed-end fund, they aren't allowed. uh, You're not allowed uh, to convert, as I understand it, based on the SEC rules. You're not allowed to essentially convert that into the net underlying assets, uh, and that is the consequence of. What we're talking about right now this idea uh, that you're not able to essentially exit from the exchange traded product into the underlying asset
3: correct right uh, and previously they had windows of uh redemptions for this previously the, disc- the discount was a massive premium there was a lot of you know wheeling and dealing with uh, the crypto lenders going back to that as far as how the premium even existed in the first place
1: and how the premium sort of disappeared into a massive discount and the premium was steep. I mean, it was pretty significant. The premium that it was trading was uh, when there were very few ways to get into uh, Bitcoin exposure, particularly for institutional clients, it was trading at what was it? the, the number was? I think it was over 50 percent, right?
3: Yeah, it was very much a product of its time because it was accessible to many people. People wanted exposure. People wanted to be able to access it through a brokerage account. Uh, you know, if there's anything we've learned, I think of Valkyrie trying to bring products to market. It's that accessibility is the number one priority. Um, even like the quality of product, obviously important. How it's run, extremely important. Custody important, but the ultimate holy grail is accessibility. Uh, so that's why things like right. RayScale, uh, you know, perpetuate for so long got so big
1: uh, and became you know this powerhouse of a product. By the way, I'm eyeballing it on the GBTC discounter premium uh, to NAV chart, and it looks like it was trading back in April of 18 at an 82% premium relative to net asset value.
3: Yeah, and and I think. Maybe a lot of people don't realize it because of the the differential in the the price of the shares versus the underlying, uh, at least initially. You know, unless you're investigating this completely, you don't quite think that uh, you're you're getting what you're getting. You know, I think that's another part of it. That isn't necessarily Grayscale's fault. That's just how the, the product is run. Um, but I think that that allowed the discount or sorry the premium to to be as high as it was and be palatable, I think, to people because they're like, oh well, we're buying Bitcoin at this you know this tiny price, right? This there's a lot of uh, integer bias going on there, too, I think.
1: Mm. So, Josh, let me ask you this. Tell me what you guys are doing on the activist hedge fund side. Uh, obviously, there are a lot, as we've, we've pointed out, through these discounts and premiums on price. Uh, clearly, there are price deltas could be taken advantage of uh, for those who uh, have the, uh, the nerve, the intestinal fortitude to do it. Obviously, there's risk in that as well. Talk a little bit about what those opportunities look like uh, and what the risks are.
3: Sure. Yeah. So the opportunity is, uh, you're buying, you know, effectively buying Bitcoin at a 60% discount or 50% uh, that has closed significantly since the uh, lawsuit hearing, as you showed there to uh, 35%. I think the maximum was around 48%. Um, there are still other products, though, that uh, have a massive discount as well. Grayscale products. Uh, there's, there's other companies that have products, closed end funds that have products going after closed end funds from an activist perspective. Um, isn't anything new uh, as a crypto native I wasn't really aware of this stuff but reading into it a little bit deeper uh, it is a common uh, vehicle for you know certain hedge funds to seek out these vehicles and develop a pathway to redemption uh, to close that that nav uh, so the risk from the, the funds perspective probably is you know if Bitcoin price continues to go lower as I'm looking at it here at uh, Um Another risk is uh, the correlation or lack of correlation decoupling where, uh, you know, spot Bitcoin is increasingly bullish maybe and the underlying pink sheet products are not. Um, But I think the biggest risk is the spot, the underlying product uh, potentially, you know, going sub 15K, let's
1: say. I want to come back to Leah and ask her two big picture questions about what we were just discussing uh, with Josh. Uh, the first question to you, Leah, is this. Uh, in reference to the plan uh, that that you guys proposed over at Valkyrie to take over the running of GBTC from Grayscale, what was the strategic thesis there? What was the thinking? Uh, and, and where do you think we are with that right now? Yeah,
2: we've been running a Bitcoin trust since January 1st, 2021. Um, It has daily redemption, uh, liquidity, obviously, you can invest, redeem with Bitcoin in kind. So first of all, um, it was the belief that we know how to run this um, and we can run it better. Uh, Our team hails from Guggenheim, from MUFG, and have run closed-end funds for their entire tenure. Uh, Our head of fund ops actually launched currency shares, ETF. If anyone on this uh, show is familiar, it was the first currency... Um, close end fund that was converted into an ETF. Uh, He had to create the plumbing behind it to ensure that uh, that was actually run. Uh, Stephen, as well as a close end fund expert. Um, So number one, it was looking at GBTC um, and being upset as investors coming from the asset management industry, knowing very well that this is an inappropriately structured project. uh, Sorry, product. Uh, Valkyrie was actually... um, we were incorporated and raised our seed round, actually, to go to market with a GBTC competitor that traded at NAV for the platform. So this is interesting how it's coming full circle for us. This is something we've always been upset about. We always wanted to do better. Always had a plan to do better. And also to to the to the point here, Ash. It's not just you know the management fees. Um, you know the lack of. Uh, Reg M relief, but also, again, that it's structurally not a product for platforms and institutions, and therefore it's been a retail product uh, for many years until maybe more recently when more activist managers came into the space, but it is not an appropriate product for them. Uh, It can be structured better. So number one, uh, we have been teaming up with a lot of the shareholders to get um, a significant amount of the vote um, in order to pressure a shareholder vote if needed. We're obviously watching the SEC very closely right now, but no matter what, something needs to happen. Um, so we're trying to take a couple angles to ensure that it does the opportunistic hedge fund is a way for us to have skin in the game, also create alpha for our investors, but it's really a two pronged, um, plan to go after. Now, just very briefly, as per the story that you guys were covering for GPTC, if you remember, It actually was when the closed-end funds from Canada were about to be uh, approved that it finally fell into a discount. So that's when actually we put our Bitcoin spot uh, ETF application in was January 2021, uh, right after a Bitcoin trust, which obviously would have fallen into a discount as well. So it's still in private placement and trades at NAV. But that we believe was also an impetus because closed-end funds always fall into a discount if an ETF-like product gets approved.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I we were talking about this with Josh a bit, uh, and Josh correctly pointed out that uh, in addition to Valkyrie being rejected. Uh- other players were rejected. In fact, we should point out that every other player who submitted a similar application uh, to uh, SEC for a BTC spot ETF was rejected. Uh, Talk a little bit about these structures because I know particularly for people who are crypto natives who don't have backgrounds uh, in traditional financial products, these these confusions, these are very confusing uh, structures and hard to understand. First, let's talk about what the uh, what the nature of a closed-end ETF, uh, excuse me, a closed-end fund is. You covered this a little bit, uh, but let's just break it down at the 50,000-foot level uh, for people who are trying to struggle to understand exactly how GBTC and other closed-end funds function, number one. And then we'll talk a little bit about the distinction between spot versus futures ETF products.
2: Sure. Um, to answer that question, maybe I'll go about it a, a different way, if that's okay, um, and actually start with Chairman Gensler, since I think that, you know, that's how we get down to the distilling from the fact that GBTC was um, approved so many years ago. So, first of all, Chairman Gensler has always been very explicit on what he's wanted. So I think that, number one, that's very helpful as we talk about this journey. Um, in... You know, when the Bitcoin futures ETFs were approved, Valkyrie obviously having one as well, um, he was very explicit. He wanted a 40 act product that helped Bitcoin futures from CME. There are other options. Backed and ICE has another Bitcoin futures product that is actually physically delivered. Some think that's a superior product, but he was specific about the CME. Um, and that's a 40, 40 act product.
1: Um, this is the Investment Company Act of 1940 for people who are scratching their heads.
2: Sorry. And then there was obviously the 33 acts, and that's what this Bitcoin spot ETF would be. So the difficulty for a closed-end fund right now, like GBTC, to convert into an ETF, that 33 act is actually uh, arduous and has never been done before uh, from an uplisted perspective. They would need to delist in order to file the 19 b 4 in order to then become uh, a Bitcoin spot ETF under the 19, 1933.
1: That's the SEC conversion form you're referring to.
2: That's right. It's really not a conversion. It's really the normal formal process. So all of us uh, issuers have filed 19B4s in order to have that 1933 Act filing um, be uplisted. And that's a common uh, vehicle. Um, But again, it's, um, it's one that hasn't been approved yet. So... Let reason. me let me ask
1: you this, just because I, I, I know that it's, it, it gets very confusing as you talk about the operational details uh, from the legal comp- uh, component of this. Uh, in other words, the process that has to be gone through uh, with regard to the uh, meeting, the specific letter and spirit of all of the securities laws. But what are the difference functionally that we're talking about? Why, uh, in other words, do people want exposure to these products via a, a spot Bitcoin ETF rather than a closed-end fund, rather than a Bitcoin futures ETF?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, And I I only hesitate because I think we can even add to it other products. Um, I think that some of the biggest news last year that maybe didn't get enough attention was actually the ability to buy Bitcoin spot through Aladdin. um, Some of these other ways. So even buying spot without that vehicle, Ash. So. Um, How are the major differences? The obvious difference between a spot Bitcoin ETF and the futures ETF is that it's holding paper futures um, that are actively managed. Valkyries is actively managed. So that's managing the role each month. Uh, We're still front month futures. Uh, So there is a little bit of active management being under that. What I said, 40 act wrapper means that there's a Cayman subsidiary that also needs to be managed. Uh, under RIC requirements. So there's, yes, uh, you know, trying not to go too much into legalese, definitely just working with Bitcoin futures. Um, So that's Bitcoin futures ETF for the Bitcoin spot ETF um, as per the name. And I think everyone on the show would understand that would be holding Bitcoin spot Um, in regards to the plumbing behind it. That's definitely to be determined on what Chairman Gensler is comfortable with. And that's, Per what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, who's going to be a qualified custodian in order to uh, effectively be on those applications and be part of that plumbing? ETFs have a crazy ecosystem in the background with lots of acronyms such as APs, et cetera, et cetera, FCMs, and LMs, and all that good stuff. So all that needs to be sorted, and those are acronym soup. In regards to the closed-end funds, those do operate differently. Um, I think that. Uh, the SEC, you know, may, may think interestingly about the fact that they approved GBTC back in the day uh, because of its structure, uh, because of the fact that it doesn't allow today uh, the redemptive relief. Uh, it did. The issue with when it was providing providing redemptions is that it was actually on a schedule. Uh, it needs to be off schedule in order to be appropriate for the market. That's why we got this premium. Uh, in order to understand exactly when uh, these were going to come out. And then sophisticated players took advantage of that. Um, But without, yeah.
1: yeah, So so quickly, though, what are the advantages in terms of the ownership of spot ETFs? And why is there so much interest in that, number one? And number two, uh, you mentioned Aladdin. I assume you're referring to BlackRock's Aladdin portfolio management software uh, access to Bitcoin. What do you think the significance is for that, particularly on the institutional side?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So for the Bitcoin spot ETF, a lot of investors are interested in that because especially the tax advantages that an ETF does provide, it's able to slot onto platforms. So any RIA financial advisor can buy it very comfortably. That can't be understated uh, for an importance for investors. And that's just due to a reporting standard that uh, financial advisors require. Um, Mm -hmm. So that plumbing is required and that's very important. Uh, Also, when it comes to larger money managers that have specific risk parameters and investment committees that they need to go through, sometimes multiple, um, an ETF structure is a structure and vehicle that they're very comfortable with rather than buying spot or GBTC, which often doesn't um, fit within their, their risk parameters. So the structure itself from a retail perspective I think there's um, a lot of enthusiasm on being able to buy it in a comfortable way for your IRAs or 401ks. Uh, They still love Spot. I do, too. Uh, But not having to buy it through Coinbase or any of the other exchanges. Instead, just through simple brokerages. and hopefully with the appropriate management fees um, as per uh, ETF standards. So I think that's- And also the and also
1: the price alignment, right? This is another right. considerable factor. Why don't you talk a little bit about how that's rebalanced?
2: Yeah, that's right. So it should track price. You shouldn't have this discount premium to NAV that you see with GBTC. Uh, the futures obviously track as well as you can with any instrument in the market right now. But obviously there is somewhat of a tracking error Uh, And that's where the active management does come into play. So Spot should track the best. As for your question previously about BlackRock Solutions, formerly turned into Aladdin, um, that is very important. Aladdin is utilized by all the largest money manager, asset managers, and the plumbing of the industry. To be able to buy Spot directly through Aladdin is, is absolutely massive. The thing that's interesting to me is you didn't see that many money managers actually buying. I think it's not surprising the bear market and also shows probably the desire and appetite for a spot ETF, because I think from, I should say, from all of our conversations with other managers, they want a, uh, a crypto native manager to be managing in background or an ETF-like product, still a little uncomfortable buying themselves for their clients. But um, definitely a huge development in the space that we'll see where and when that becomes even more important.
1: Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Okay, we've got a lot of viewer questions that are coming into us now that we just can't wait to get to. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys uh, take those on. Uh, But first we're going to look at... uh, A viewer clip, excuse me, a clip from the latest technical trader show. This is where Real Vision pro-crypto members get access to the latest technical analysis and trading ideas. You can sign up at realvision.com forward slash pro-crypto to get access to institutional grade content. Here's a snippet from it recorded after the Fed comments on Wednesday. Let's take a look.
0: Bitcoin sold off. And I think that's primarily due to the fact that, you know, dollar was very strong. The Fed is on pace to continue higher for longer, and as of today, which was extremely hawkish, it looks like they might be doing 50 basis point as of the next hike. Why? Inflation is still sticky. And it seems like the Federal Reserve is still very adamant about pressing on that inflation button to try to hone it in regardless of the possible policy errors that they might be doing. Their primary indicator is employment. which looks a little bit strong, but I do believe that employment is lagging at the moment. If you look at the mass layoffs across the board, if you look at weakness in housing, they are setting themselves up to shoot themselves in the foot. It's just the DeMarc setups are really, really clear. If you look at something like uh, the S&P 500, we qualified TD propulsion down, DeMarc propulsion, my favorite indicator, the best trend indicator I've ever used. When you qualify propulsion down, you can almost guarantee As long as it's not nothing's a guarantee, but the risk reward is always against the swing high to target that 376 TD prop down. And it's simply just fib extensions. It's 23.6 and double that 47.2% fib extensions. We qualified that the most recent high, you know, on my Twitter, I said, this was just a, a very easy short on my newsletter. I said, it's a very easy short. We should continue to see downside and why look at the dollar just so damn strong. have a very very strong trend in the dollar this is not good for stocks you have trends in rates to the upside this is not good for stocks i still think we're going to see one more loan what does that mean for something like bitcoin we should continue to see the downside you know my my theme in these is just going to be look you're into some near-term support but we have qualified propulsion down in stocks and it looks like we're going to continue to trend lower and it looks like as soon as they're going to do that 50 basis point hike you're going to see some real bricks taking off the table off that news. I just don't see it. It seems very binary to me that it, that's the only outcome. Uh, as soon as they do the 50, you're just going to sell off, and the market is going to front run that a little bit, and then you're going to sell off on the news. And maybe that's when you start to buy because that'll be the better opportunity. But for now, I just, I only see it as a one way action.
1: All right, that's Peter Pinkassoff. Again, you can sign up at realvision.com forward slash procrypto to watch that video and many others in full. Uh, Josh, I know you look at technical analysis. This is right in your wheelhouse. What are your thoughts on what you just heard? What's your analysis of Bitcoin price movements? Yeah, I mean, the macro headwinds probably have never been the
3: strongest that they've been since Bitcoin's existed. Bitcoin's existence has largely been in this, you know, zero interest rate policy regime. Uh, so it's interesting that, of course, we had, you know, the tide go out with the rate hikes, uh, starting with Terra Luna and and so on, 3AC. Uh, And now we're sort of dealing with uh, inflation still. Uh, The question is, how fast is inflation falling? Is what the Fed is looking at leading or lagging? Are they too behind on the data? I know uh, the clip mentioned housing. Uh, Depending on how you want to look at housing, a lot of housing looks like its uh, valuations are collapsing, but still very unaffordable. Uh, there's a lot of data every day. You know, yesterday we saw JOLTS, which is uh, job openings, better than expected. We saw ADP payroll numbers better than expected. That signals that the jobs market still might be very tight. That the the Fed has a ways to go yet as far as raising rates. They have they have room to run there. Um, based on the inflation numbers they're looking at, they also have room to go if they want to reach that two percent target. And generally, if we see rates rising, we see risk assets. Uh, falling. And also, as the clip mentioned, uh, DXY strengthening. DXY is a basket of uh, currencies against the dollar, mainly the euro. Uh, But if we are strengthening here on a relative basis, greater than the euro or the CAD or the JPY, then you'll see DXY rising and anything denominated against the dollar tends to fall. Uh, So I I agree with everything I heard in that clip. Um, One thing to think about here is you know, where's price support on a technical basis as I'm looking at it on my other screen here, but 20K is a massive psychological support. It's the previous all-time high from the 2018 cycle. It's the 200-day moving average down there at 20K. Uh, So that's where I think many, many people are looking for uh, levels uh, for, for price to reach as a support in the near term.
1: Okay. Um, So let's move on and take a look at some of these viewer questions. They've been streaming in. The first one comes to us from MF Heminga. This is from the Real Vision website or Discord. Uh, This comes from the Real Vision website, actually. Uh, And the question is, what does the Silvergate liquidation mean for shareholders? Will they be likely to get anything back? Uh, Who wants to explain this unhappy tale?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll just jump in. I'm not sure on that question, honestly. But one thing I wanted to mention to piggyback off this story, speaking of zero interest rate policies, uh, we saw last night uh, the, S- the Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, report losses of $21 billion. Um, Again, very similar situation there related to they saw massive deposits of uh, VC money. Uh, those deposits have dwindled significantly. It sounds like there may have been some sort of duration mismatch uh, on bonds. Again, I'm not exactly sure in all the de- details there, um, but it sounds like the bank sort of took a bath on having to sell. Uh, things that they didn't want to sell before they wanted to sell them in order to cover uh, withdrawals because they didn't have uh, deposits, and now they're trying to raise a uh, couple billion dollars to to shore that up. So this isn't just the Silvergate problem. This isn't just the crypto problem. Uh, this is a uh, largely a product of of rates rising very quickly.
1: Uh, Leah, any thoughts on this one? Uh, what what does the Silvergate liquidation mean for shareholders? Will they be likely to get anything back?
2: Great question, not meaning to punt, but I think that, you know, this is something we just need to watch and see. Yeah,
1: I'm going to do something dumb here, which is get over my skis and try and explain this. Uh, Look, when you think about this, you have to realize that what the share price represents is the residual claim on assets. Common shareholders are obviously the last in the capital structure. What you're seeing right now in the price of the stock reflects what people are buying and selling uh, the stock for. You're not a depositor as a shareholder, uh, you're an owner of the common equity uh, in the stock. And what you see in the price reflects uh, that the, 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 the valuation that investors collectively have on the residual claim on those assets, meaning as an ongoing entity. Uh, and obviously, that's a pretty dismal number. I think that there was a Bloomberg article uh, that cited again, this is just from memory from a day or two ago, uh, that the that the uh, insolvency value or liquidation value of the um, of the the shares of Silvergate was about five bucks, I believe. We're trading below that right now. We can take a look. Uh, looks like on my screen we are at. $3.77. So essentially, uh, this idea of you know what will you get back? The answer is you get back what they're currently being traded at. You're not really getting it back. You're just selling the shares at the current market value. Uh, again, I'm not an expert in bank liquidation or insolvency. I hope that gives you, though, uh, a little bit of a framework uh, to understand what's happening. Uh, this one comes from Vincent on the Real Vision website. Would Valkyrie consider setting up an offshore entity to get exposure to spot ETFs in regards to digital assets if grayscale – Uh, Loses the case, or the other investment agencies could find, hypothetically, of course. So, Vincent is asking, in essence, uh, if Grayscale, uh, excuse me, if Valkyrie would consider setting up an offshore entity to get exposure to spot ETFs. Any thoughts there?
2: So, as per our trust that already exists that hold the underlying coin, international investors can already invest in them. So, we would have no reason to do so. So, again, for the Bitcoin futures ETF that's already traded in the US, and anyone who can access that ETF can and trade that ETF but again our trust do hold that underlying coin. Um so no reason to do so unless you have a great idea of which case please write to us.
1: Okay, here's a question that comes to us from Twinson ETHW on YouTube. Uh, you say you don't trust third parties yet you use Coinbase and banks. Why not self custody?
2: I think that's a great question. It also uh, depends on the requirements and rules. We do set up um, custodial wallets with developers of those protocols uh, and we utilize a, a variety of systems. We set up across various custodians. And again, we, we monitor very closely. I think that Coinbase is fairly safe on the custody side, but again, we you know monitor as often as possible. But again, depending on the product, depending on the regulatory requirement, As of right now, there are just regulatory requirements that we have to follow, but those are few, you know, third parties that we're working with. And again, um, you know, happy to delve into each and, and why we feel confident.
1: Great conversation, I think, with both of you. Terrific to have you here. We really got into a lot of detail, particularly on the fund structure, product structure side. I think people who had questions about that probably got them answered here. Terrific conversation. I wanted to get final thoughts and key takeaways from each of you. Uh, We started with Leah. Let's go to Josh. Josh, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and listeners with.
3: Yeah, I think I I wouldn't get too discouraged about uh, the news in general in crypto. You know, as someone who's been here since uh, 2013, Mt. Gox news. Uh, we're still dealing with that. Uh, potentially dealing with uh, the Gox coins unwinding here uh, shortly. Potentially dealing with Silk Road coins, even uh, from the government, being auctioned off shortly. Uh, you know, stay smart, stack stack Sats. Stay humble. And uh, there are. It's often darkest before dawn. I'll leave you with that cliche, <laughs> right? Um, the cleaning up of the industry is good for everybody. It's good for uh, retail. It's good for institutions makes everybody more comfortable, more transparency. We want to see common sense regulation and we don't want to see capital pushed offshore.
1: That's ultimately the goal here. Uh, Leah, we'll come back to you. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our audience with.
2: Yeah. I like the tone that Josh is setting here. I also embellish the industry, you know, 2023 feels different than 2022. You know, we're having different conversations, but Um, I was actually at Bitcoin Park here in Nashville uh, yesterday, and it's just interesting to see all the developers still building, uh, all the Bitcoin core still building, the lightning applications, et cetera. There's a lot of activity. Developers didn't stop last year. They didn't stop during all these malaise. So I think that even though we're figuring out the regulatory clarity for these institutional products here in the United States, you know, the projects haven't stopped building and the communities continue to get strong. So um, whether we're talking about ordinals or we're talking about, you know, the, uh, the Solana community, whether, whatever it may be, there's a, there's a lot of positive news to be had. And again, if, if a coin is as powerful as its community, then I'd say that we have a bullish future indeed.
1: Thank you both for coming on the show, Leah and Josh. Really a pleasure having you with us. Thanks, thanks, for, having you us, thanks for having us. for having us. I should say, as always, not financial advice. Do your own research and especially not financial advice when I'm blundering through an explanation of bank insolvencies. That's it for today. Santiago Velez will speak live with Hugo Filion from Flair tomorrow. Hey, make sure you check it out at realvision.com as well. Uh, We have an important two-part series there called How to Unfuck Your Futures. It features some of the most visionary thinkers and investors we know. As we mentioned previously, this week we'll be exploring all the ways in which we're all effed, featuring Raoul Pal, Dario Perkins, Frederick Niebrand, Peter Zion, and Alex Gurevich. In week two, we thankfully move on to the solutions. We'll leave you with a trailer from that series. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great afternoon, everybody. If we want to change the outcomes for this really screwed up world where our wages don't go up, where we're being replaced by technology, where governments are massively in debt and we foot the bill via taxes, where we see debasement of assets and we can't afford as many assets as we like, so the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, if we don't like to see the rise of populism based on this broken society because the promises of the future have been broken, let's make our promises to our future selves come right. And that's by unfucking your future. Some of this is going to really your future in 20 or 30 years time, but we've got time to figure that out because it's unstoppable.